so and I'm the co-founder and chief executive of Frontiers Conferences. I would like to give you a warm welcome to our new episode of the future of well-being. Today, we're going to focus on the future of talent management. What we're trying to do is to build a global platform for well-being. It's based on our main event, Frontiers Next Well-Being, our podcast, the verticals, episodes such as this one, and the community, the community of people and speakers and advisor that rotates around Frontiers Well-Being. What we're doing is that we want to keep the pace. So the first episode were, was aired in, in, uh, in March, on the 18th of March, again on the topic of corporate well-being. Today we're going to deep dive with our guests, specialists on the topic of uh, Gen Z and, and how to manage uh, the rebels in, in the work environment. Uh, as for every Frontiers event, recordings will be available. We'll be prioritizing you, the people that are watching us that have record, that have registered a ticket. So it's going to be available exclusively to you. And then after a week, we'll be available, available for the general public. Now, for, for, a people like, for people like us, we created a company to run events based on the experience experience for the people, experience for the attendees, experience for the speakers. And now a global pandemic has forced us in a, in a studio to, to be with you behind, behind the screen. But what we're trying to do starting today is to bring the experience back. Now, we kick off every event we run with a live uh, show of our resident artists, Corinami and Joe Ferrari. And today, I brought for you a little bit of this. So in studio with me, there's Korinami. Korinami is a musician, uh, electronic uh, musician and a DJ. And today what he's going to do is a live performance on the original soundtrack of Frontiers Next Will Be. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Korinami. Thank you. 
And this was Korinami. What a show, guys. From here, it was terrific. And I, I, I would be glad to hear the feedback. How was it from, from your side of the screen? Now, back to us. Uh, people managers are about to face the perfect storm. From one side, there is a global pandemic. Then in the worst case scenario for their employees at home, and in the best case scenario, have many, many friends who their employers will need to force them to move their backs back from Fuerteventura. So that's quite a challenge. On the other side, there is a new, an entirely new generation, not just of dig digital natives, but of digital nomads. Young people who are used to use and abuse digital tools in ways that organizations are completely unprepared uh, to, to, to accept. And this is what we want to discover today. And it's time for me to kick the evening off and uh, welcome on stage, better said on screen, my friend, advisor of Frontiers Next, Nana Bitavragim. Welcome, Nana. Thank you so much, Matteo. It's, it's absolutely a great pleasure uh, to be with all of you here. I am, of course, not a specialist in HR or talent management. I'm Dr. Preneur. Uh, scientist, uh, medical doctor, and entrepreneur, but the topic of leadership, hiring, and especially firing, and current situation is uh, definitely uh, absolutely important for each of us. So I just, um, I can't promise that we will have, uh, we will have all answers on your questions, but what I can promise, we will try to inspire you to give you some ideas, to uh, introduce you to fantastic people. And we have absolutely amazing, outstanding lineup of speakers and take you in this journey and open the forum for, for the discussions. I'm so, super curious, I'm super curious, Nana, to hear what your guests are gonna say. Yes. But it's time for me to disappear and I'll be back after, after your conversation. Absolutely. So I would like to start off uh, with the introduction of our speakers and uh, um, we have uh, three speakers uh, for tonight and uh, please uh, make your cozy, grab your glass of wine or tea and just relax and uh, enjoy. Um, the first speaker is uh, Lara Katan. Lara is a high performance and strategic execution coach with the rich experience in the corporate world, having worked in multinational organizations in change management and transformation. Then she stepped out of the corporate world to find her own company, Spark One. Lara used to say, the best gift you can give yourself is to avoid people with drama, gossip, and stress, and spend more time with people who love you, who support you. Lara lives in Dubai, United Arabic Emirates, and she joins us from sunny Middle East. Uh, welcome to our live talk, Lara. Uh, what should we know about you uh, but couldn't find on the internet? Thank you, Nana, for this uh, great introduction. Uh, well, it depends on which uh, media channel you go to, but on Instagram, I'm quite vocal about how much I love my cats. Um, something you don't know about me, I really spend most of my day in my yoga pants and t-shirts and like a bun and like my cats around literally working. <laughs> uh, one more thing is I do value a lot um, uh, mystical and spiritual experiences. I do feel like the next level of human evolution and uh, let's say uh, 
next level of uh, advancement in society and organizations in, in even us, the way we deal with each other, it comes from uh, what we call like spiritual intelligence. And I think this is gonna be the next level of intelligence out there. So I'm very big on that. And I really also, I like to integrate in that in my work as well. Awesome, that sounds really, really inspiring. Um, let me please introduce you. you another speaker, another Matteo. So Matteo Rizzi. Um, Matteo is a seasoned fintech entrepreneur, investor, founder, co-founder of several companies such as Swim, uh, SwiftCommunity.net and so on and so on. He's also author of uh, several books such as uh, Fintech Revolution and Talents and Rebels. He knows how to bridge uh, um, traditional banking with emerging technologies because he understands both. An interesting fact about Matteo, he speaks and conducts businesses in five languages, Italian, French, uh, Spanish, English, Portuguese. So uh, Matteo joins us now from Portugal, also sunny Portugal, I hope. And Matteo, um, what fascinates you most these crazy days. Well, there is uh, there is little to be fascinated in this uh, in this <laughs> pandemic world. But at the same at the same time, what fascinates me is uh, how some of the entrepreneurs that I deal with, uh, specifically, you didn't mention it, but I'm mainly an investor. That's you know half of my time, and I'm an impact investor in Africa. And uh, what fascinates me is how certain uh, of the entrepreneurs I daily talk with, uh, the how their resilience made them pivoting their own ideas that were pretty much, you know, at the beginning of their uh, of their journey, and pivoted in a way that made them stronger. So they became uh, more than resilient; they became uh, anti-fragile. That's what fascinates me. Yeah. This is a really, really strong vision, and really. Uh, absolutely interesting. We have another speaker. Um, she's not here. Uh, it's Emily Bachert. Um, she's 19 years old teenager and I allow to uh, open up her age, uh, uh, who lives her dream to become a fashion journalist. She's a former assistant in intern at of Female One Zero platform. This is the online magazine for diversity and matchmaking platform for entrepreneurs and builders who support and look for more inclusion and diversity. Amelie lives in Munich, uh, Germany. She's currently at work and will join us in the next uh, 30 minutes. Um, so um, let's uh, start uh, discussing this uh, fantastic topic. So I would start with you, Matteo. Um, you uh, wrote a fantastic book. Uh, it's very in in inspirational. In your book, you state that not all rebels are genius. So why an organization would need and probably nurture a rebel? And who is the rebel in, in the current organization? So uh, I think we need to like uh, put uh, this, this question a bit in a context, you know, because my book is fantastic, is marvelous, but if you haven't read it, uh, you don't know what we're talking about, right? So the book is, uh, the title is Talent and Rebels, uh, and the subtitle is called uh, Dealing with Corporate Misfits. 
So let's agree, first of all, who a misfit is. And a misfit is someone that doesn't fit into the mold of an organization. He, is or, he or she is an innovator. And uh, he or she is probably the best chance that uh, that corporate has uh, to deal with an innovation that is not incremental, but is rather disruptive or more radical. In order to deal with this type of innovation, of course, if you keep hiring the same people, you know, you're just going to do a little bit better what you do already. But if you want to make sure that you tackle what your business or company doesn't do yet, or which technology or third parties or startup or event can come and disrupt your business and sort of flip it, you know, put it in a way that is almost uh, unrecognizable, you need to accept that the type of talent that can deal with it uh, are the rebels type. Now, the, you actually mentioned that sentence about uh, not all rebels are geniuses or, or a rebel is not a genius. These two things has nothing to do in the sense that uh, something that is uh, uh, very common is to... I, I, I call it stigmatize this type of people and put them in a zoo, you know, like in, in a zoo inside of a corporation, as if they were either superheroes or like, uh, you know, the guys with the piercing uh, or, you know, piercing and, uh, you know, tattoos and, uh, you know, the, the guy, the odd guys, they're not odd. The idea is uh, they are a type of resource that think and links businesses in a way that is very different uh, from uh, what uh, other people do. And they are very complementary with the, the other resources of the, of the company. And the secret of how to deal with rebels is uh, make sure that they are very well connected uh, with the rest of the company. And I will finish by saying that uh, the most challenging thing about rebels is not to confuse rebels with noisemakers. Some of them are just uh, dissenters by definition without the necessary grain of salt uh, that is going to be useful for your business. So in that sentence, you know, now there is a little bit of genius in every rebel, but it's not a genius, it's their own way to connect uh, different concepts that apparently have very little to do. But uh, over time, they are going to represent uh, a way for your company to survive. That's the thesis of the book. Do you think the, um, the distinguishing on rebels and genius uh, can be addressed in every and any kind of fields of technology or uh, social uh, entrepreneurship? So we so, can see those kind of uh, rebels and genius across the all fields um, of it, our life. That, that is, a, is, a, is, a, is a definite yes. So when you look at the story of the big failures of this world, uh, uh, you know, Blockbuster or, uh, uh, you know, Blockbuster and Netflix or uh, uh, Kodak and the digital camera or, you know, the, um, any any big failure that couldn't cope with disruptive innovation, and it's actually across the board. I used to work for Swift, 
Swift is a cooperative, they deal with high value payments. Uh, uh, it's a cooperative with over, uh, I believe it's seven or 8,000 members, which are all financial institutions. And they have over 100,000 of uh, sort of uh, network points across the globe. They deal with high value payments. People don't know it usually, but when you do it, the big code or the Swift code, or Swift is actually a cooperative, you know, it's a business. Right. And uh, within Swift, we created a cell that dealt with uh, FinTech innovation, so financial services innovation, back at the time where, you know, talking about digital banks uh, or digital lending or cryptocurrency or any of the innovation aspects of the fintech was really pioneer okay banks were looking at you like uh, you know what the hell are these guys talking about right but the truth is that uh, swift had most of the, most of today's unicorn uh, passing through that cell of innovation i'm talking transferwise revolut mambo you know all these big guys Probably amongst you know the four of us, there is, there is at least one of us who has an account in a digital bank. If it's not transferwise, it's Revolut. If it's not Revolut, it's number twenty-six. Ten years ago, none of this existed. Yeah. Swift, the, Swift discovered in his journey most of these guys. So the reason why I personally left Swift is because I wanted to build the fund able to invest in these guys. And today we would have written a completely different story because we have to be sitting in the largest fund, fintech fund of the planet. It didn't happen. Why? Because there was a failure, which was my failure, in trying to sell an idea that was really disruptive in an environment where the tension didn't allow to do so. Traditional. So I, I do an example, you know, the the the... The book talks about my own experience as a disruptor in the financial services, but I'm interviewing a bit more than a dozen of people from different backgrounds because this type of disruptive innovation approach is for sure across businesses. It's just not about financial services only. Absolutely. Um, I, I could agree. confirm that from the health tech and biotech. So, and then uh, um, a lot of examples. But this uh, interesting uh, discussion brings me to another case. And in the case of Google, when uh, 2017, Google announced uh, Google for Jobs uh, platform. The reasoning was that um, there is a problem when the people um, can't find the jobs. So, and uh, the current pandemic uh, actually uh, even uh, pronounced this problem and um, brought it more profoundly. And I think that um, this problem actually not is the problem of not finding the job. The problem is a different thing, is in the getting hired. So Lara, um, why the most, qualified candidates uh, may not be the right candidates and why is it so difficult to get hired instead of to find the job okay what do you think so uh, it, it, it has a lot of uh, reasons but I think the most qualified candidates so when we say the most qualified we were talking about like the qualifications their experience all that kind of stuff but sometimes people overlook 
their values or their tendencies. Like someone who has a value for freedom, for autonomy, for let's say uh, flexibility, all of that stuff will not work in an organization that is more like authoritarian, uh, that is more like, um, you know, formed in a different way, more about policy, uh, uh, office politics or managing up or all of that stuff. So, and also a person who values change or he's a, who's a kind of like someone who's like into like fast implementation will also not be, work well in an organization where it's ex incredibly slow to adopt ideas um, and vice versa. Like it could be either way. Also communication style can be completely different. Like I've seen people who are really qualified, they're doing great job. Their only issue were considered as misfit because of their communication style is not matching the communication style of the organization. Uh, where so you the know, one part- The rebel, one part, that example. Yeah. yeah, it could be a rebel or it could be someone else. One party could be really fast. They won't just like the end result, the outcome. Someone is more like relationship-based. And sometimes when, when, when people are in an organization are used to one type of uh, style of communication or anything, when someone new comes in with a different style of communication, they consider that person as a misfit, although that person could be, you know, like in the right qualification or even like their communication style could be even more effective than their organization's uh, effective uh, uh, communication style. So that's on, the, uh, on that side. Um, also, I think uh, the problem of people finding jobs but not getting hired during this pandemic is I think that there's a lot of, a bit of distortion in the market because what we're seeing is that there's a lot of jobs, phantom jobs that are being posted out there. For some reason, companies are really posting some phantom jobs. Uh, I think people are scouting for talents. Uh, they keep jobs uh, open, uh, ad, uh, jobs of ads open for, uh, you know, just scouting talent or because they're lazy to, to take it off. But I also feel like there's a very, um, the, 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 the decision, the hiring decision is, is very slowed right now because of the concerns of the risk of like, what's going to happen next, you know? So uh, a lot of decisions are being on hold when it comes to hiring. Fantastic. Following up on this uh, hiring talent, uh, talents, I would love uh, to um, quote the Adam Grant who said in hiring, it might be the time to get right of uh, uh, experience requirements. Past experience rarely predicts future performance. So I think that what matters is the current motivation and the ability of how well people can learn to do a job, not how long they already done it before. And it, actually it's also echoes uh, what Matteo said at the beginning. So the more and more talents uh, and uh, in organizations, let's say uh, rebels, do not work just for money. Uh, they work for passion, for great motivation. Uh, Matteo, uh, what do you think? Um, how to help um, the organization uh, discovering and feeling the passion of the, uh, the best motivated employees. How would it be possible to uh, keep them motivated on, on doing the best what they can do instead of, um, I mean, to increase the performance instead of just to doing job, to enjoy and bring more value? So 
to start with, this is this is a problem that goes beyond the 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 the, um, the theme of the rebels, right? So every single company on earth right now is trying to sort of retain retain the best talents, and you know more so after during and after the pandemic because there is this sort of a, 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 a digital leapfrog that. Uh, uh, imposed, you know, it, it, especially on uh, old-fashioned companies, uh, a way to deliver their services and content. Uh, in a, you know, they might have a plan to digitize most of their business, but they had to do it ten times faster because of the pandemic. That required uh, two things: one, uh, to be attractive for for the talents that they didn't have, and two make sure that the guys that were, you know, amongst the few who could actually make the change, uh, they stayed. So again, that goes be way beyond, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, dealing with the rebels. And I think that the, the, the way you can retain your best talent is to start by accepting uh, that uh, you might not have uh, all the intelligence you need uh, inside and among the top 20 people of the company. You know, actually, the the very often uh, it doesn't matter. You know, people are you know there is a, a misconception or or a misunderstanding that just because you are higher in hierarchy, you know, in in a company, you're the one with the best idea, so you're unable to judge. You might be you might be simply someone who has been around for a lot, for, you know, for longer than others. But you might don't know, you know, how an entrepreneur thing, or you might don't know what the best way to deal with a startup. I give you an example. So one, one of the, I co-founded a company called the FTS Group, which is a, a, an innovation consulting company that does corporate innovation program. Basically, we, we teach large companies how to deal with startups, okay? And... Uh, the problem zero of this job is making these guys understand who is an entrepreneur and what, what is it, what is he or she, and how does he or she think? Because everyone states that, of course, we work with entrepreneurs, we work with startups, we work with external ideas, we are keen in building solutions together, and then you have the people that are supposed to interact with these guys. They have no idea how an entrepreneur even sort of gets motivated, what he or she thinks. And that's like the really beginning of this journey for, uh, for them. So that's like the step zero. And then about the retaining talent, you need to understand what the different triggers of the people are. Because uh, as I said, rebels are really about, uh, you know, meaning, uh, passion, uh, not hierarchy, not money, relevant sort of business, uh, uh, you know, working together with similar, uh, you know, with people who are similar to them. And each human being has his or her own triggers, you know. And today, I believe that especially in large organization is a little bit like uh, one size fits all as far as HR is, uh, is, uh, is concerned, which is a very common mistake. Absolutely agree, totally agree. And uh, instead of uh, looking on uh, 
diversity and, uh, and different other, um, you know, metrics, uh, we have to actually provide the employee, employees with the experience. And uh, that would be another uh, probably opportunity to, to keep the best talents in an organization. Uh, however, I read uh, recently one interesting sentence. Uh, um, I don't remember where, um, just came around, and that states uh, that organizations must see diversity and inclusion as dance partners, not uh, synonyms. So, and I'm a huge um, support of diversity, and um, so I would love also to uh, raise. Uh, this topic also uh, in our discussion. Um, Matteo, the number of uh, women entrepreneurs are growing, um, but still we have, uh, and this is, um, I would love to address it uh, to you as an entrepreneur, as well as investor. Still, uh, what is your view, how the gender gap, um, how we can reduce this gender gap in FinTech? We used to speak uh, nowadays a lot about this, but it's still I think uh, the problem is there and we need a, a lot more and alternative uh, solutions for that. How do you see that? The gender gap in FinTech? So to start, to start with uh, as, uh, as an investor, the experience is that uh, whenever, uh, whenever there is a female founder involved in a startup, uh, we have, uh, in general, much more confidence uh, for uh, the startup to succeed. This is this is not something that we are inventing. Uh, that I'm inventing. It is uh, proven by by the numbers. So, in the actually balancing uh, the gender gap in the founders is super important. Uh, and actually, another initiative uh, that I founded a couple of years ago is called TimePledge.org. And Time Pledge is a, is a not-for-profit organization that coaches and mentors African entrepreneurs for free. Actually, what we are, what we are noticing is that uh, there are a lot of uh, um, ecosystems initiatives that, that, that are uh, uh, working towards uh, teaching entrepreneurship to women because in most of the African countries, they are the ones sustaining their families. Uh, and they also way more reliable. Statistically speaking, if you take uh, 100 uh, loans uh, to women and 100 loans to men, the, the women's one are more likely to return the money, you know, in a, in a two-digit sort of a superior percentage. Okay, so it, it is, uh, there is no comparison how these two, um, uh, how these two groups will, will react. Uh, I, I am nobody to uh, to uh, sort to teach anybody how to like fill a gender gap. I think that uh, everyone has to work, uh, you know, within uh, you know its own possibilities. And as far as we are concerned, as uh, you know, as, as an impact fund, uh, we are actually working towards one uh, coaching and mentoring uh, and uh, funding initiatives that are empowering uh, women entrepreneurs. And second, uh, we look for a very specific, with a, with a very specific eye, startups uh, who, are, uh, who have female founders, because usually they are the one that are much 
more ready to actually give back uh, to their community once they become successful. Yes, absolutely agree. I'm mentoring two startups and uh, several startups and two of them are founded by fantastic women and uh, I, I see that very clear and I would like to, to hear also your opinion Laura on that. Uh, you as executive coach, uh, you definitely uh, also helps uh, um, a lot of uh, your clients uh, to be more prepared in, uh, in the leadership positions and do you see more women uh, in leadership um, coming to you with the questions? And then maybe another, um, another side of that, um, we used to currently use a lot of technology, especially in HR, in the screening. Uh, do you think that technology can help? I'm skeptical because I don't believe these algorithms can uh, actually um, open up uh, the old talents, what we see in the candidates when we talk to each of the individual person. But first, probably okay. with the woman leadership and uh, your experience on that. Okay, so I want to say something before I got I get to the women leadership. Uh, what Matthias said is very interesting uh, because considering what's really happening in the world, like usually female founders get like less funding, like they get around two percent funding versus uh, if you have like only male founders, they get around. You know, there's like a chance of getting them like eighty percent funding. So I think. Uh, what he's doing and the initiatives he's doing is, is kind of interesting. And I think the numbers that he gave like that women founders are actually more performing uh, should be more highlighted because I think what's happening in the world is that women do not see enough role models, whether in, in the entrepreneurship world or in the uh, like leadership of, uh, of companies. They don't see enough role models. And number two, I believe like there's a lot of things related to sponsorship and coaching of women um, at the end of the day it's all in our head right and even the the uh, and I, I'm, I'm a big big advocate that the system needs to be there like you have to have the right laws you have to have the right uh, system but we also know that systems can be uh, kind of overlooked and not implemented, right? And it could look good, like you can have, you can see people, uh, women in leadership, but you don't see them having the same responsibilities uh, or they are heard or they are kind of like their opinions being considered as much as their male counterparts. Uh, so you could implement it, uh, from an external perspective, but is it really being uh, implemented in uh, a very like, is it in the fabric of the organization? Is it really embedded in the organization or is it just, just fluff? And I think a lot of situations, it could be just fluff. Um, women in leadership numbers are not that great. Uh, I think uh, uh, it, it, it's clear like 30% of uh, women uh, on board in like in the fortune 500 companies are 30% uh, women are on, on board of fortune 500 companies. So the rest of the world is much less, but Middle East is, is, is much less than that for sure. Um, again, what could be done? Uh, this is a very complex uh, situation. And I think a lot of it is to do with the internal work. Like women have to, first of all, believe in themselves, believe in their capabilities. They have to uh, kind of like see the potential uh, of themselves. And that has to do a lot with inner work of women. There has to be a lot of um, uh, unbiased training 
the, the, the unconscious uh, bias training uh, in companies to kind of like explain to people what kind of unconscious biases that they can do, whether in hiring, whether in uh, the promoting, whether in performance management, whether Operation. the way they they even communicate or the way they, uh, the kind of responsibility that they give women. All of that needs to be tackled. Uh, I think a lot of it as well is that women can be intimidated by higher uh, positions uh, because uh, it could be very much male dominated or it could be that they feel like the responsibilities and uh, they won't have like enough like work-life balance. And for women, we know that in most cases, I cannot generalize, again, each person has a difference, but women do value work-life balance in general. And the workplace has to cater for work-life balance, has to cater for flexibility, has to cater for that kind of, um, kind of like uh, flexibility and thinking in order to attract more women in leadership and sponsorship is incredibly important. Uh, women have to be mentored throughout uh, the, the, the again, in, in, in different parts of their career because, you know, some women can attribute success to communication, other women attribute success to qualifications, but in reality, it's about if you have the encouragement, the sponsorship, that will make the, a whole a lot of difference in your career. And I don't see that much happening for women. And what's sad is that it's not only happening, um, it's not just happening from, uh, you know, because like men are not giving enough sponsorship for women. What we're seeing is that women sometimes create obstacles for other women in the workplace. Um, what is seen as, you know, in, in generally, when you self-promote yourself as a man in the, in, the, in, the, in the workplace, that's considered as a plus. People know about your contributions. You are in control of other people's perceptions of yourself. A woman, when they self-promote, uh, they kind of, um, it, it, it has a negative connotation. And for them, like a, a lot of people consider women that should, they should be modest culturally. Mm. And that bias even is not just, you know, it's not just, you know, it's not a, like a male bias. It's a, it's a woman, woman to women kind of bias even. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, what you, Matteo and you, Lara, are saying sounds very true. But to me, it seems it isn't. Like if I, if I look in the real world and if I look at the career that C-level executives have done, they were not corporate rebels. They, they were talent probably, but they were, they were not rebels. And if I look at the women founders and women CEOs, it's, it's such a small number which disappears compared to men. So what do you say? It's completely logic and it sounds perfect to me. Why don't I see it outside? Why don't I see it in the, in the reality I can touch? Because you're beside the point, Matteo. <laughs> because, because, you're assuming, because you're assuming that uh, careers is what interests rebels. I'm a rebel. I don't give a shit. <laughs> propose, me, propose, me, propose me to become the CEO of a bank, and I say I don't want to. That means being a career, right? So. Yeah. I, I actually left at Swift a job with a career. So it, I, I left it when, you know, I was an executive, uh, the, you know, the big car and, uh, you know, the pension benefit and I quit it because I thought I wasn't relevant. So at least for the part that is saying, now the women part, I'll let Lara answer. She's more prepared than me, but, uh, if, uh, if you're asking why I don't see rebels, uh, you know, making a career, I say because they don't care. 
I, I, now, I completely agree with you, Matteo, on this because, uh, and I say completely because uh, it, it sounds uh, correct. I mean, it, some rebels might, might not want a career, some others maybe don't consider themselves rebels per se, but they do are rebels and they do want a career, right? I'm just saying that it's very frequent for me that rebels will build their career with their own company. It's because the system does not, the it, system it, does it, not cater the for system. rebels. They, are, they want the to system push does themselves not out of the system. Yeah, in, in fact, rebels are, and I'm sure Matia knows more than me about this, but from my uh, perspective and what I know is that, and what I see a, a lot happening is that rebels are rule breakers. The system, the society, organizations, they value conformity. They don't value rule breaking. And if you're a rebel, even though that you can add value by rule breaking, in most cases, they see you as a threat or uh, again, a misfit in the organization and you are being pushed out very early on in your career. And the, this is the issue is that if organizations want to innovate at a much faster rate or to keep up with what's happening in the market, they need to think like entrepreneurs a little bit and they need to uh, kind of like uh, absorb or accept or create space for, that re for those rebels to kind of like be creative and, 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 and add value. And, and that's Lara, the problem. This is exactly the point. I mean, organizations do need rebels, but the way they have conducted their business till now, it's built in a way they push the rebels out. And I believe this is what our, our guests, our attendees at home are, are trying to solve. Absolutely. It's a misfit of values. It's a misfit of values. And it's you, know, you know a good exception, what could be when the rebel is also the CEO of the organization. So, and basically he or she builds the organization to the image of a rebel. So Elon Musk is a good example. Elon Musk is a good example. Let's take another one. Let's take Steve Jobs, right? I think Steve Jobs is a good example because he was born as a rebel but fast forward to the, to the later stage of his tenure at Apple, do you think he was still a rebel or was still just a corporate giant, just a billionaire running his business? So the, the, it's interesting that you're asking exactly this question because a couple of years ago, uh, I, was in, I was in Budapest and I was very happy because uh, someone else filled out this huge conference uh, room for me and it was Steve Wozniak. So that I was very happy to come before him because of a sudden people came to see him, but I actually saw the Talent and Rebels presentation before, which is very happy. He gave me this amazing, you know, uh, you know, Eros Ramazzotti sort of, you know, audience, amazing. And then, and then a little, you know, this, uh, uh, so Steve is a rebel, okay? Co-founder of Apple, he ran away from the, like, uh, from the Apple fortune. He was the guy like behind the scene making the products, okay? And Steve was, uh, Jobs was the face of it. You know, I think that the way Steve saw the business was always the rebel vision. But, uh, you know, you, 
let's talk of an of uh, if you talk about someone who's still alive, so we can all sort of judge for what we can witness every day. I think Elon Musk is still a rebel. Okay. When you look at uh, how different businesses is touch, uh, how the way he talks, the way he pay attention to, the way he doesn't care how you know he can move. Uh, you know, a couple of billions in a cryptocurrencies because he does a tweet. I mean, he's, he's between a rebel and a fool, you know, somehow. So is he still a rebel and he's, you know, at the top of a $100 billion company? So are the two things completely unconcilable? Maybe not. I think, um, I think we are getting into that with the new generation. And it's coming, the new generation uh, completely um, designed for rebels, and at that, what my what is my view on Generation Z? But actually, um, just give put my two cents in this uh, fantastic, a very rich discussion. I think um, the whole design of the systems where we live is not uh, actually allows uh, uh, enable. Uh, those organizations to work in the maximum capacity doesn't allow rebels to be to become uh, a standard uh, kind of like employees. So I think we we can take it more and uh, deeper. But I would love to uh, welcome Emily, who just joined our fantastic live call. Hello, Emily Bachert. Uh, uh, Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, um, I introduced you previously in a few words, but uh, maybe you can describe yourself in a few words and maybe what are the most important uh, free things you value in your life? Um, 19 years old. Yeah, um, if I would describe myself in one word, I would say creative because I like everything that's extraordinary and I hate to be like normal and boring and uh, three things I value the most in my life are the sun because I just looked outside the window and was so happy about the sun and then my friends and passion for every for every person who has a passion it sounds like we just we just uh, had a fantastic uh discussion on uh, rebels and the talents. Um, I hope you just uh, catch it a few uh, uh, minutes ago and then you heard that uh, Matteo uh, just described that. And um, I believe that Gen Z, uh, not just the native and digital native, uh, and they have a specific uh, relationship with uh, technology and almost organic, but Jet Z is actually is a, a generation of rebels. In fact, 75% of Gen Z say that uh, only, um, there are ways of getting good education. There is other ways of getting good education, not necessarily getting into the college or universities. So it's already as a different view on the, on the current situation in life. So how do we bridge the gaps uh, in organizations, in traditional organizations, which we still live, uh, having the senior leadership and then coming a uh, uh, um, lot of employees and millennials and Jet Z, how to uh, close this gap, how to find the right way 
to uh, collaborate and especially I would be interested to hear your opinion about how retain Jet Set in organizations? Yeah, that's a difficult question because I know it's always just always a little bit of misunderstanding between uh, the senior leaders and uh, gen settlers, I think, because there are many prejudices that um, say that gen settlers are like they spend most of their time in the virtual world. And in, because of that, they um, slow, are slower to grow up. And I think that's that's not fair because in the, in some companies, the senior leaders are um, used to think that gen settlers are, they don't like to work for you. They are not loyal after work. They want, want to um, think about the problems they have in, in the office. And I think that's wrong. I think um, what's most important to um, bridge this gap is um, a good way of working together. Like the, the gen settlers has, have to accept that they sometimes need a push from their senior leader and they need maybe need the advice and to accept this. But in the other way around, I think it's really important that the senior leader is open for new ideas and for a change, for innovation in general, because it's true gen settlers have a really different lifestyle than uh, older people, uh, older uh, senior leaders. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's hard to uh, find this bridge, but the most important thing is just working together. Fantastic. I'm, I'm um, following the watch and I've seen that we have uh, still a few minutes left. So um, getting uh, most of this fantastic conversation, I would love also to give an opportunity to have a little fun. And I prepared like a kind of a blitz questions uh, for Matea and Lara. Just answer, uh, give okay. you a gut feeling and just answer spontaneously. Maybe it's a very stupid questions, uh, but it will probably give us a little bit more fun and then uh, feel ourselves uh, real like uh, humans and uh, rebels in that way. So Matteo, <laughs> would you like to be mentored by, by senior women? Hmm. Actually, I, I have already a couple, I have already a couple of mentors uh, uh, who are very successful uh, uh, African woman. I consider one of my one of my main mentors, uh, Omobola Johnson. Omobola Johnson is uh, is a former minister of ICT of Nigeria. It, it, she is now one of the most uh, respected uh, venture funds. She's not much older than me, by the way. You know, I'm 51. If a mentor has to be much older than me, you know, it will be on a grave. So I have to. The mentors are more or less people that are uh, in between, you know, my age and 10 years older, right? So, this is exactly and uh, Amelia uh, yes. actually said, because the, the actually leadership doesn't mean, uh, doesn't uh, connect in regards to the age. It could be well, you know, the, much the, younger. When, and, indeed. Uh, when, when Amelia when was talking, oh, I actually Googled what Gen Z means. Uh, and I discovered that both of my kids are actually... Gen, Gen Zers. And, uh, and I agree that the, the most complicated thing today is the fact that the, the school has evolved much slower 
than uh, the world. Is as simple is as simple as that. Yeah. So and 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 it depends. It depends where you know which contest you're talking. If you're lucky and you are, you know, in uh, in an ecosystem that is a bit more evolved or or open, you might have the choice, or you might be given the instruments to make a choice. If you are in other countries, there's still one size fits all, and most often, than more often than not, is the wrong size fits all. So that's that's the main challenge. Nana, and, uh, two more minutes for your panel. Uh, Excuse me. Two more minutes for you guys. Exactly. So actually, it's supposed to be a very short question. I have just a very short question. A few questions to to Lara. Lamborghini or Ferrari? Lara. Why, Nana? Ferrari. <laughs> Ferrari is more classy. <laughs> so is the Rebels. Uh, yes or no? What? Or nothing? Ferrari. Ferrari. Okay. So Matteo, pizza or La Bischetta? Bistecca. Bistecca or Bruschetta? Oh, fantastic. And the last, uh, maybe, for Matteo... No, he was asking, are you, yeah. Nana, you wanting to choose between pizza or Bruschetta or pizza and Bistecca? No. Pizza and bistecca. Bru bistecca. bistecca. You know, next time <laughs> ask a protein or carbohydrate. <laughs> <laughs> protein. And the last, the very last one. So Laura and Matteo, please finish this sentence. HR is the art, science, and the practice of caring for. Art, okay. science, and the practice of caring for people. What do you think? Maybe Amelie. Caring for, for people, for, for employees, for I'm actually asking. the well the welfare of the company, because the welfare of the company lies in the hands of employees. Yes, Captain Obvious, people, no? Yeah. Fantastic. So that actually was um, a fantastic uh, discussion. Uh, I can't believe uh, it just one hour, like a minute. Uh, Please, um, let's thank uh, Lara Kitan, Matteo Amelie Bahet, and uh, my word to you, Matteo. Maybe we have and, some... And thanks to you, Nana. Thanks to uh, Matteo, Lara, Amelie. Thanks, everybody, for uh, being with us. Uh, now, as I was saying, we're going to bring this kind of episodes, this kind of content, every month to the conference. So we're going to have another one before the conference on 19 and 20 of May. And then we will keep going after the conference. Now, if I can have uh, my slide, please, with the speakers from Frontiers Next uh, Wellbeing, I would like to point out some of the speakers who are going to bring their amazing content, their great content to the conference. Uh, speakers such as Michele Zanini, who is the author of Humanocracy. Marissa King from Yale, Yale University. Alessandra Rimassa from Changes. Alessandra was with us uh, a month ago in, in these verticals. Francesca Gino from Harvard. Oscar Di Montigny from Be Your Essence. And Lara Catan, who was today with us from Sparks of One. So, ladies and gentlemen, May 19 and 20, from our hubs in San Francisco, Milano, Dubai, and Riyadh, and streamed digitally globally in the rest of the globe, Frontiers Next Wellbeing. You can save your ticket, you can book your seat or screen at frontiersnext.com. Subscribe to our newsletter to get the 
updates and the news and the latest perks from the world of frontiers. And this is all from Milano. Arrivederci. Ciao.